Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we help you discover innovative startups in the outdoor sport industry. Join us as we tell the story of brands who are paving the way for the future of outdoor sports. And here's your host, Josh Salvo. Hey, Ready Eddy Podcast listeners. Do you love skiing, snowboarding, climbing, hiking, camping, surfing, kayaking, or mountain biking? Did you know that there are thousands of new outdoor sports startups launching each year with incredible stories and products that are revolutionizing their sports? At Ready Yeti, we are a community of outdoor sport enthusiasts that love discovering new brands and supporting the ones that make innovative, quality products and that have a drive to give back. At ReadyYeti.com, we give away products every two weeks from your soon-to-be favorite outdoor sports startups. Check out ReadyYeti.com and become a part of our daily growing outdoor sports community and be among the first to discover tomorrow's outdoor sport brands. Hey, Ready Yeti Podcast listeners, Matt here. And before we start this week's episode, I wanted to make a quick shout-out to WildJunkie.com and ModernHiker.com who are partnering with us during our Sackcloth Nashes and Bradley Mountain giveaway. Both ModernHiker.com and WildJunket.com have shown us a ton of support in helping build awareness for startups like Sackcloth, Nashes, and Bradley Mountain. If you want to check out some of the sites to help us make Ready Yeti happen, then definitely check out WildJunket.com and ModernHiker.com for all your travel and hiking fixes. What is going on, Ready Yeti Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host. And on today's episode, I'm sitting down with Bob Dalton, the founder of sackcloth and ashes and if you're not familiar with sackcloth and ashes they make high quality fair trade blankets and sell them worldwide and they're very unique because they offer blanket every blanket that is purchased on their site they give away a blanket to a homeless shelter and so with that uh, bob i want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me yeah thanks man awesome so for the listener that may not be familiar with sackcloth and ashes what what are who are you guys and what are you all about yeah, so um, specifically, we don't just donate a blanket to a homeless shelter. We donate to a local homeless shelter. So um, every blanket that's purchased in our company, uh, we'll send a second blanket down the street to your house um, to a shelter in need. Um, so we donate based on zip code. So if you live in Nashville, Tennessee, and you buy a blanket from sackclothandashes.com, then we'll send a second blanket to a homeless shelter in Nashville, Tennessee. If you live in Portland, Oregon, and you buy a blanket, we'll send a second blanket to a homeless shelter in Portland, Oregon. Um, so we've taken the one-for-one business model and we've taken it a step further and it's evolved into we are now giving back locally in the United States down the street from consumers' houses. So um, it's a great way for uh, businesses to make a difference in their local communities and it's a great way for individuals to make a difference in their local communities is by buying product from us. That's really interesting. So. Why, why did you start doing this? Um, so in 2013, my mom uh, lived on the streets for a short period of time. And that really changed the way that I view the homeless community. The homeless community, the homeless issue had always been on the bottom of um, the social injustices that I, that I was against or that I, that I didn't like. And, and, um, and you know, I had to work, I'm still working through a lot of, you know, biases and, and uh, judgments toward the homeless community myself. And when my mom became homeless, it changed my whole, my whole paradigm because she's the hardest working woman I know. She has two college degrees. She's managed restaurants. She raised my sister and I by herself. Um, and so because of that, her ending up on the streets made me realize that not all choose to become homeless, that some people just need a second chance. And that's when I started calling my local homeless shelters and asking what their biggest need was. And they all said blankets. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to start a blanket company. And, and for every blanket that somebody buys in our company, we'll donate a second to their local homeless shelter. And, um, yeah. And so that's kind of how we got rolling. That's so interesting. So where are, where are you originally from? So I'm from Coos Bay, Oregon. Uh, it's just a little coastal town, uh, in Oregon. And, and I grew up there and, and then um, right now I'm I'm living in uh, Salem, Oregon area. Interesting. So what what's your background um, pre starting sackcloth and ashes? Did you have any um, sort of experience in um, making blankets or just even the logistics of building a business like this? No, not at all. None of it. 
Um, I actually started the business by driving down to Joanne's fabric and buying a sewing machine and trying to learn how to sew. Um, so I realized that really quick that I couldn't sew and, uh, started hiring local uh, seamstresses in my area and, um, they started making blankets and I started taking those blankets and hitting up every boutique and shop and store on the Oregon coast. And, um, so I, I, I knew very little about business. I, all I knew was like, you know, I, I went into it. I, I always planned on going into either like ministry or the nonprofit world. You know, I, I always had, I love speaking in front of crowds. And so I either wanted to be a pastor or I wanted to start some type of nonprofit movement. And so it was like this ir- irony, this the ironic situation where I found myself going into business and, um, and learning business from the ground up. And so now it's, you know, I would say I'm not a businessman. I'm an activist who's just learned business. And, um, you know, I'm passionate about uh, helping social issues. And, and this is a really practical way that um, I've been positioned in my life to be able to do that on a very large scale. Without a doubt. I think that's really interesting. And it goes to show that passion is one of the most important aspects of starting really anything, whether it's a business or social cause, nonprofit or whatever. Um, I yep. think I think that's such a great point. Um, so let me ask you this: What is something in just the the product itself? Um, what would you say differentiates um, your blankets from other blankets that are on the market? Yeah, great question. Uh, so typically, like what I found is, you know, most people are buying blankets at either Target, you know, for like twenty bucks, or they're buying, you know, more more expensive blankets in like the two three hundred dollar range, and um, so when I was coming up with like the designs and, and the type of product that I want to carry, the market that I want to sell to, I wanted to create a product for like that fifty to a hundred dollar range, and sell very little, if not any, products over ninety nine dollars, um, so that I could hit that middle market where people have the opportunity to have a super dope product, but they're not paying you know two three hundred bucks because, um, and I didn't feel like anybody in the market had really covered that yet. So not only do we have like you know, very, very strategically selected designs to kind of fit what we're trying to create as far as aesthetic. We're creating that middle, that mid-range price so that, we, you know, we can tap into a full audience that, was, you know, wants a good product, but also doesn't have to pay for it um, as, as much as they would have to pay for other products. So I wanted to fill that gap in the market and, and we've, we fit in, we have fit, fit in very nicely um, and we're taking up a lot of space right now it's beautiful <laughs> that's a wonderful thing so who is a, like who would you say is a perfect customer for you guys um a perfect customer i would say is like a a a blend of aesthetic from urban outfitters and patagonia um i want that beautiful clean aesthetic look for the home tailored to a younger crowd but that younger crowd has an adventurous side to them and they want to create adventure and journey in their life. Um, and they understand that this is a product that can, that can help them create a beautiful indoor aesthetic. And this is also that same product that they can take on their next adventure. And, um, I couldn't have tapped into a two, two bigger audiences. I mean, the home market is ridiculously big and there's a lot of room for, for exposure and, and room for growth. And then we tap into the outdoor market, which is a huge market right now, kind of that modern outdoor market, which is, you know, a lot of younger people, they don't want to hike up the mountain. They want to drive up the mountain and, um, we're, we're, we're being able to tailor to that market. That's, that's a growing, fast growing market right now. So we're hitting both home and outdoor and it's kind of that, that third party object that's being able to like it's something tangible that they can be connected to a cause and be connected to creating a beautiful aesthetic in their house or, or connecting them to it, an adventure in their life. And it's all kind of tied in beautifully with one product. Wow. That's a, that's great. I think, um, I, you bring up so many great points and just have, you have such a focus and understanding of who your demographic is, which I think is such an important thing when you're building a business and something with, like the first thing that I noticed about um, you guys when I when I when I found you online is what wow, these guys look like they're huge, 
you know, and, and I read it somewhere that you, uh, you, you, you pride yourself on having incredible photography and making it look like your company has been around and has a ton of people working there. And I, I, I want to ask you sort of how did you, what made you decide that that's something you wanted to focus on and how did you cultivate it? Because your photos are like, I, I could stare at them forever, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that was just kind of like, because I didn't know anything about business going into business, that was like the one thing that I knew. I was like, uh, I don't really know how to build a brand, but I do know that if I'm going to do it on the level I want to do it, it's got to look big. And so from even day one, like if you went to our website or our first social media post on Instagram, if you scroll back far enough, like right. it's a pretty beautiful shot. Um, it's It's not like this low grade, like we threw something together or like, here's a behind the scenes. It's it was, our first photo was like, boom, the finished product, the most beautiful photo we got. We are posting on the front page of our website on day one of our launch so that when people find our website on day one, just from basic, you know, my friends and family sharing about the company, everybody who landed on that website day one, they were like, damn, have I been missing out? Like where, where's this brand been? You know, like this is so yeah, just from day one, like I was like, I'm not going to put out any content unless it's prestige, unless it's the best of the best of what I can do and create. And that's, you know, so now I'm fortunate to be working with like some of the top photographers in the world on a consistent basis every single day. Yes. So that's a, so are you, did you, were you in photography at all? Or did you sort of have a network of people who were great photographers? No, you know, it's just basic networking, like just start hitting up people on, on social media and, you know, being like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. This is the product I got. You know, would you be down to post about it? And, uh, a lot of people responded really kindly, you know, like a lot of people helped me get through that first phase where like, I didn't have a ton of money to market the brand. Um, they kind of helped push me and get me to that level where I could. And so there's a, there was a lot of photographers that, and especially in the beginning stages that really like helped contribute and helped, you know, share about the brand, you know, some more than others, you know, some of those little, those little photographers out there that, you know, who you are <laughs> <laughs> took, took my product and didn't promote us. Um, but yeah, for the majority, like they, you know, most photographers were, were super cool about it and they would promote the product and help me get to where we're at now. And now we're able to, you know, have really good business and, and good business relationships with, you know, 30 plus photographers out there. That's great. So how did you come up with the name? I know there's a significance behind it. Could you share that with uh, with the, with our audience? Yeah, absolutely. So I was really fascinated with um, ancient Jewish history and and I was just reading, uh, I think it was, I was listening to a couple podcasts on, on, on that religion. And also, uh, um, just, I, I was reading through the, the Jewish book of wisdom, which I highly recommend to anybody who wants to just read a incredibly large book that's just filled with stories and parables that will help you shift the way that you see the world and, and see your life. Um, Super great book, and and I was reading that in sackcloth and ashes is ancient, you know, Jewish shim- symbolism of uh, it means mourning and repentance. And so the idea was like, I was sitting on that name for a while, like a typical entrepreneur, like t- typical kid with a thousand ideas. I was like, oh, sackcloth and ashes, like that's a that's a really unique name. I'm gonna keep that one in the back pocket. So when I came up with the idea for the blankets, it was like, oh, that's an interesting, like perfect fit, like because this symbolizes anybody who buys a blanket. Uh, it symbolizes mourning over the homeless population and repentance by being able to con- contribute to a homeless shelter in their area. And so it was like this beautiful historic tie-in with this ancient name, um, slightly, you know, slightly a religious name, but slightly mysterious enough for people to not care. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... It has, I think in everybody's back of the the back of their mind, they're like, oh, I think that's a religious name, but they're not like turned off by it because they don't know too much about it. Yeah. Um, And so it's cool. It's just this like almost secret symbolism that's in our company that, that, you know, the people who know about it think it's pretty cool. And people who don't know about it, they, you know, it's just kind of a secret meaning. Yeah. 
Of course, of course. Yeah, coming up with a name is always the hard. Was for me, I think the hardest part. Not the hardest part, but it was a difficult challenge because once you once you go with it, you're stuck with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, how did you? What was the process in developing your first product, um, your first blanket, to what it is now? And you guys started in 2014, so it's been a few years. Can you sort of walk us through um, your development process of? creating that first blanket that you were super proud of to offer out out into the public and to where it is now. Yeah. So, you know, I started with fleece, fleece blankets. Um, and that was a practical need for the shelters, like any of the shelters that I went to. And I was like, yo, what kind of blankets do you guys actually need? They were like fleece, you know, there's people allergic to wool. Um, fleece blankets are raw are rewashable. Um, and so I just started selling fleece blankets. And so I was mainly just selling the concept. And then I I just started buying some like random rolls of fabric online right. <laughs> that I found at like fashion <laughs> fashionfabrics.com. <laughs> so I, I got to throw in the plug. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's up, Fashion Fabrics? Yeah. Uh, you helped us. Um, but yeah, Fashion Fabrics, like I selected like these random rolls of fabric. And I was like, oh, I think I think those that's kind of a cool fabric. I'm going to make blankets out of it. And so uh, I get like these rolls of fabric like shipped to my house. And, you know, my wife is just like, have you lost your damn mind? Like, <laughs> you're just ordering like rolls of fabric and they're just so and I, and I like would treat it like it's gold. I would unwrap <laughs> that fabric and I look at it for the first time and be like, God damn, this is nice, nice fabric. Yeah. And um, I was stoked on it. And so when we took photos of it and put it online. It was with 30, within 30 days of launching the company, I got an email from Anthropology, and they said they wanted 10,000 blankets. What? And, and so I called Tammy, my seamstress. I'm like, Tammy, how many blankets we got? She's <laughs> like, we got 20. You know, it, and so that's, that was just kind of like the, you know, we weren't able to obviously fulfill that kind of quantity just because it was this random fabric that like ran out. Right, right. You know, and it was just like, I only bought a certain amount that they had in stock and it was kind of like a, and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, fi- I couldn't figure out, uh, they, they basically just ran out. And so anthropology bought like product for like over the next like three months of what we had in stock and they kickstarted us into, uh, into that next phase and it gave us a lot of credibility, you know? And so what that did was it, it kind of, forced me to look into other types of styles and designs of product that we want to carry. And we did a lot of market testing. And um, so now we're in, in the best place that we've ever been in as a company and being able to produce however many blankets we need to produce. Um, you know, and, and so if anthropology or urban outfitters hit us up, um, specifically urban, um, what's up? Um, <laughs> You know, if they hit us up and, and said, you know, we need 10,000 blankets, we need 5,000 blankets, we can actually pull that off now. So, um, so we're excited to start working more corporately with, with larger companies like that here coming up in the near future. Awesome. So I've got a few questions to follow up from that. Where, yeah. ha, ha, in the beginning, how did you develop that relationship with anthropology or was it sort of like happenstance that they just happen to see and come <laughs> across you? Yeah. So I, like I said, I knew nothing about business and I definitely didn't know how the wholesale process worked. Like I was selling right. my products to, to boutiques and shops for 15% off mm-hmm. because I thought 15% was a good deal. I'm like, you ain't asking for 50% off of this product. <laughs> like, this is some valuable product and there ain't none of this, you know, like I, I was like, if you want on board, you got to get on board with the other five shops that bought this product down the street, <laughs> you know? And yeah. there, there was no other shop, so they would just cut me a check. And so it was pretty funny. Like, I was selling the product for like fifteen percent off, and you know, um, I walked into Anthropology with a business card and went to the front desk and I just said, "Hey, um, make sure this card gets to your your manager." And I left my card, and I was like. I sell a product that you guys are going to want to carry in this store and it's, it fits your guys' aesthetic and we make a difference in the local communities of wherever you guys sell them. Um, make sure this card gets to the right people. And so ironically, the regional team 
like came and met in in Portland Anthropology like the next day oh, or man. something. And it got like literally the card got passed to like the right people in like the exact right time. And they shot me an email and I was just honest to God, not expecting it. So it was, um, yeah. So That's it worked incredible. Out. That's incredible. Yeah, it's, it, it's straight up, straight up miracle. However, I do take a little props for like, <laughs> ain't nobody typically going up into yeah. anthropology and demanding that their car <laughs> gets into the right hand. So I take a little credit for it. And I, I, uh, and so it was cool how it all worked out. And it was definitely, you know, the biggest thing was that boost of credibility for us in the beginning. So, oh, that's awesome. That's such an incredible story. And you're, you're right. You got to have the cojones to get out there and do it. Because <laughs> if yeah, you don't, man. those opportunities won't come around. How lucky they may seem. Or, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. You just, yeah. You got to have, you have to have the ability to ask over and over and over again and get shut down over yeah. and over and over again. And that was the thing. That was the whole, the journey that I went on in that beginning stage was like, I got into 20 stores that I got to put on my website, but I, and people are like, Oh my God, you started in 20 stores on day one, you know? And I was like, I got denied by probably 200. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? It wasn't yeah. like a fun pro like you, people are like, Oh, 20 stores is so much. And I was like, God damn, I'm I was ten percent. Like I wasn't happy with yeah, it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was like I, I I'd go into stores and leave and and say to myself on the way out, like, God damn, they're making a mistake because yeah. I'm about to be a nationwide brand. Right. No, I think that's such a good point. When people look back at businesses when they start that they just see the highlight reel, like, wow, you did all of that, those great things in that period of time. Like, well, <laughs> You don't realize all the all the crap that went wrong or didn't work yeah. or people that shut me down and said that this would never work. <laughs> exactly. No, that's interesting. So what's something unique that no one knows about you, one of your products or, or your business, and how would you say that differentiates you um, in your industry? Like me personally? It could be you personally or the business, something that's not so well known um, either about you or the business. Um, that were coming after Tom's. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, no, no, not <laughs> not like that. But like it, it's a, uh, you know, I definitely take a lot of a lot of pride, and I I am predicting that you know we you know Tom's definitely like pioneered this whole one for one model of giving, and it, it it was beautiful and and it was timely, um, and it was needed. It was needed for our generation. You know, it was it was such a perfect timing that they came in and, and created that one for one business model. But, um, you know, I believe that sackcloth and ashes will be one of the most talked about brands. Um, because I do plan on taking the company to a level where, um, we do evolve into the next phase of social entrepreneurship. And I haven't seen that done yet on the level that I, I believe it deserves. And, and, uh, yeah, you know, we don't, we don't, talk publicly necessarily about our strategies as much as we you know now i'm starting to vocalize a little bit more like we're on the cusp we're on the cusp of being one of the fastest you know product companies fastest growing product companies in the nation and and you know one of two things either needs to happen like we're either going to we're either going to become the biggest social enterprise in the united states um and I, in my opinion, I think Tom should buy buy a piece of us, and um, solidify that they're still going to be having some skin in the game. Um, buying a piece of us, I think that that's going to be their insurance. Interesting. Um, Interesting. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that I think Sackcloth's going to going to go on that level, and I think that you know I would love to partner with Tom's and and. Uh, you know, making sure that they solidify that they they become not only the the pioneer and the founder of the one for one model, but that they're still actively involved in the fastest growing one for one model company. That's really interesting. So, what would you say are some of the sustainability aspects um, and giving back aspects that you plan to introduce going forward? Like, how is this going to evolve? Do you see in the in the future with with what you're doing? Yeah, that I cannot say. Okay, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, that I that I cannot say. Um, but we're getting close. 
we're getting close and everything is right on pace. Um, you know, as far as like our, our social media platform, our email subscribers, um, the energy of our company has never been more strong. Um, our social media platform is just beautiful right now. I mean, we got, we got so many people just like enjoying and, and believing and, and, um, interacting with our brand like never before. And it, it's, it's incredible. And it, and, and it, this is all happening before sackcloth and ashes has even spoken. We haven't even spoke yet. Um, we haven't even, you know, we we're right now we're providing a really practical need to shelters around the nation, but sackcloth and ashes has not took taken an activist standpoint, an activist voice and has spoken yet. And when we speak as a company, it's going to be, in my opinion, one of the most powerful things that the social entrepreneurship world has yet to experience. And so that's, that's, that's kind of what I can give you right now. Interesting. So what has the growth been like since you guys started in 2014 to where you guys are now? Um, you know, our first year we got our, our, our big break because Instagram emailed, emailed me. Um, it was like three days before Black Friday. And Instagram was like, yo, Bob, we love your story. We love your product. We love your vision. Uh, we want to feature you on Instagram's Instagram. And so I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I don't even know what that means, but it sounds <laughs> good, you know? Yeah. And at the time they had like 42 million followers. Wow. And so I answered a bunch of questions over email and like they took it back to their team and then they got back to me right away. And they're like, Bob, we're going to feature you on Instagram's Instagram. And I'm like, how long do I got, how long do I got to like stock up on product and get ready for this? And like, you know, and they were like, tomorrow. <laughs> so, so it was two days before Black Friday and they posted a, and shared a, our story to the world. And, and, um, yeah, it was, it was super incredible experience. I mean, we grew like, I think it was like 18,000 followers in one day. Oh my God. And then, <laughs> and then you know did incredible amount of sales because black friday was like two days after that yeah and then um and then i did and then the, the most beautiful part of it all was i had people like mothers emailing in and saying like i'm going through a really rough time in my life right now and and um your story gives me hope because i have two kids of my own you know and and we're struggling and and because you know you did something with your life. You made something of yourself. Like that inspires me as a mother to keep going, you know, to, to know that my kids could, could do something great in the world. And, and so I think my mom's story is just super inspiring to a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, other mothers in the world that are, that are raising their kids by themselves. And, and they don't know how their kids are going to turn out, you know, like they're doing everything they can. And so, you know, my story is just a testament of like, because my mother never gave up on us, like because my mom, you know, busted her ass waitressing to, to make sure that my sister and I were taken care of, like, you know, that, I think that that's a lot of what came out of that Instagram exposure was like inspiring to a lot of these single moms, you know? Yeah. And so... So that was the that was the coolest thing that came out of that. Like, yes, we made some money and yes, we grew in following, but like we were able to inspire a, a ton of people around the world with, with my mom's story. And that that was the coolest part. That's such a cool story. <laughs> that that is it definitely uh I wasn't I, I had no idea that that even happened, that Instagram even does that or did that. I mean, I'm sure they don't Yeah, it, and that's the thing. I don't I honestly you don't see it often. Like they typically are really they don't usually promote companies. Yeah. You know, that, that, that was like companies would probably pay like astronomical yeah. amounts of money to, for that to happen. And so it was just, I felt like it was just, uh, everything that's happened in this company so far, I felt like has been very divine and, and very like, um, timing has been everything. Everything has happened in the perfect timing. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm just the captain of the ship and just kind of like directing the ship, but like it, it, uh, 
timing is timing has been everything. You know, the the ocean is big, and and I'm just kind of guiding us through all kinds of different things. And so it's been, yeah, it's been it's been crazy. We've had incredible amounts of growth over the last two years, and and over the next two years, I, I don't I don't plan on doing anything other than just rapidly growing this thing and, and seeing what it, what we can actually do and the message we can create in society. Without a doubt. So let me, let me ask you this. So you, you have a team of, uh, there's eight of you, correct? Mm-hmm. So what would you say, what are your, what areas do you focus on in the business and what, what do you say is your, your strength that you bring to um, sackcloth and ashes? Yeah. So I'm, the thing that I want to master in my life is communication. Okay. And so, um, so I'm, you know, if I hone into the thing that I want to master, the craft that I absolutely love, um, I do all of our marketing. I do all of our, what does our company look like to the everyday consumer? I put myself in their shoes every single day. And I'm able to see our company, not from within, but see our company from the outside. And so my job is to make sure that our product, our mission, our, um, our, our story, our, our vision for the future is going to be at its least common denominator so that all people can understand it. And that's, that's my job. And so whether that's through social media or whether that's through, um, you know, interviews like this or it is to communicate in such a clean and crisp way so that all people can understand, you know, what we do and, and where we're going and, and how we did it. That's really interesting. So along this journey, did you ever have any mentors that sort of helped you figure all of this out? Yeah, definitely. So. Um, I had a really, really good friend that I met with every two weeks and we would just talk all the ideas that we had, bouncing ideas off each other and talking about all the things that we would want to start one day. And, and uh, he has this, he owns a company and um, he does, um, he's a financial advisor. And I came to him one day and I was like, hey man, like, do you know any rich people in our community that you feel like you've connected with and might be interested in investing in sackcloth and ashes. And he was like, you know, me, you idiot, like <laughs> meet, meet, meet me at, you know, breakfast tomorrow morning with your shark tank pitch. And so I remember bringing uh, a bunch of papers to him and all these, you know, I, I remember pacing in my backyard that night <laughs> with my, head, my headphones on and trying to figure out what my shark tank pitch is going to be to him. And, uh, I came to him and he, and I was like, this is how much I need. And he's like, no, I think you need this much. And, and, um, so he was our, my, my very first investor and he helped fund that whole first season of business. And, um, and so that, that was a mentorship, like a, a, even like a brotherhood that turned into a business partnership naturally because of the relationship that we had built. So anybody who's out there that's like looking for investors and stuff like that's the best way to find an investment is like, you know, taking the time and, and, and approaching people that you want to be your mentors, approach them first with not an ask, but approach them first with learning that you want to learn from them, you know? Um, and so I just had a lot of people that I was learning from in my life, like mentors and, 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 you know, just uh, older men and, and women that know more than me in certain areas of life. And I would surround myself with those kinds of people. And Jason was just a natural one that worked out and we became business partners. And so that was kind of like the practical side to, you know, one of my mentors just ended up partnering with me. Well, that's such a good story and a great example of like not, you're not in it for yourself. You know, mm-hmm. you were, you had a, you weren't going to him to just take, take, take. You were, going to a friend and you were presenting like it, it was clear how genuine i guess the relationship was which i think is such an important aspect of it um so let me ask you this in, in terms of the manufacturing where do you guys make most of the of the blankets uh, we source our fabric from italy and then we make a, the majority of the product we finish in in and do labeling and everything here in the united states 
Okay, interesting. So did you guys do that from the beginning? How did that process go of actually setting up those relationships? I know we spoke earlier where you had a few seamstresses, but how did you how did you increase that scale, so to speak? Yeah, t- typical manufacturers, you know, it's it's uh you start off with what you know. And you do some Google research and figure out, you know, who sources products and and all that kind of stuff. And then, um, you know, once a manufacturer is like, you know, Bob, you're you're kind of outgrowing us. Like, this is the amount of product that we can do. We're kind of maxed out. You know, that forces you to look into other options, and you know, you look into better and better and better options. And so you know just through a lot of research a lot of word of mouth a lot of asking a lot of questions to people you figure out who your best manufacturer is going to be and and what you need for that season you know like our first couple manufacturers that we don't work with anymore they were perfect for those beginning stages you know of business and so you're not typically when you're starting a product company you're not going to just come out with a home home run and find a manufacturer that's going to make all of your products from from the ground up um but you work with manufacturers that are perfect for you in that season and so yeah so the manufacturers we're working with right now is perfect for what we need in this next season and and that's just done through a lot of networking and word of mouth and and um forcefully having to move on because we've we've maximized other manufacturers interesting i i think that's um you bring up a few good points in the fact that like you're not always with the same manufacturer and that some are built for smaller product line sizes or, or um, quantity sizes, I should say. So what would you say has been one of the hardest parts about building uh, sackcloth and ashes to what it is today? It's always a hard question because I'm, I'm definitely a, an optimist and a problem solver. <laughs> yeah. And so... I don't really look at situations like, oh, oh man, we're in such a hard situation. You know, it's, I just look at a situation and I go, how are we going to fix it? What are we going to do about it? How are we going to move forward? Right. <laughs> you know, it's that's that's the mindset you got to have as an entrepreneur. So I don't typically, I, I can just rattle off a hard, hard time. I, I just look at situations that we quickly fixed and moved on. Or have there been any quickly. situations that were a little bit more challenging for you to figure out and sort of build that 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 troubleshooting process and be like, okay, this is this is what we're gonna do? Yeah, that was mainly with customs, of course. You know, most most companies I think come back to that. It's like <laughs> when you're when you're importing goods or or fabric or whatever it is into the United States, it's customs is is uh, it's a very messy messy organization you know it's it's not clean and cut you know you don't know exactly what you're getting every time you get goods coming in from another country um you don't know how customs at the airport is going to respond to it so yes through a lot of you know now we're at the point where we have we can get our product turned around really quick with customs because of certain processes and things we figured out but like in the beginning like customs place holds on our products and when it release the products for two weeks or something and we'd have to pay every single day that our product's sitting in the airport and it's because they just simply placed a hold just because they wanted to oh that's that yeah. <laughs> so so that so that kind of stuff happens for startups and you're like how the hell am i supposed to make it as a startup company if our own government and our customs can't get their shit together <laughs> you know yeah i totally so, understand that so for me i'm like this is bad business like i'm getting charged for something that's not even legitimate um and so, yeah, I mean, that, that definitely looking back, that caused the most stress, you know, you, you order products and then you get a phone call from the airlines and they go, Oh, you know what? It's going to be a week delay because we're mix, missing a part of your shipment. We think it might've shipped to Germany. <laughs> Great. <laughs> you know, and you're like, that's on the other, like, that's so far away. Like, how do you make that kind of an error? Yeah. Yeah. Like, how did my products end up in Germany? You know, it's like. <laughs> It's not even close, close to America. So, I so stuff like that has happened, and that that's caused a lot of stress of just like, you know, having to problem solve and go, okay, you know, we're not going to get our our product for two longer weeks than we expected. How are we going to either a make it up to our customers or, you know, b 
create something that our customers won't even notice that we're, we're having that issue. Right. You know, right, right, right. And so a lot of that problem solving is like, okay, how can we make sure that on the back end we're still handling our shit? But like, you know, with customers, it, it's like they don't even, they don't even have to know what's going on because we've, we've played our cards right in regards to, you know, what we're promoting and promoting product that we have in stock. And you, you never really feel like sackcloth's in a, in a place. If you follow our brand, you never feel like, Oh, sackcloth is out of product and it must be turnaround time for them. And you know, they're sold out on a bunch of stuff. Right. 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 You don't say, you don't say that about our company. So we, we do a good, we've, we've improved in that area of, making sure our customers are staying happy on turnaround times. Right. So what, what would you say is your greatest fear with sackcloth and ashes and how do you manage it? Mm. Uh, I feel like the, the only fear that I would have, but I don't, that's been kind of squashed by the way that we've set ourselves up as a company is the fear that we wouldn't be in a place where we could receive a lot of the opportunities that are about to happen for our company. So right now, like we've, we've prepared ourselves and we've positioned ourselves to experience miracles. You know what I'm saying? It's now when that, that miracle of Instagram or anthropology or whatever that big thing is moving forward we're going to be able to capitalize on that. And my only fear would be that we weren't ready for that, but now we are. And so it's eliminated all fears that I've, I've had for this company. We've never been in a better place to receive some type of big opportunity that's going to come down our way and we're going to capitalize on it in its max potential. So I, I don't have any more fears. Well, that's good. I, I should take some pointers from you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's, um, that's really interesting. And I like the way you describe it and get into it. And it seems like you always have a plan or your, your strategy and it allows you to sort of, if any sort of fear does enter your mind, you're like, I thought this through this, this is in place and you can just sort of let it go as an irrational fear. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is by Sun Tzu, uh, in the book, the art of war. Right. Yeah. Um, and he says the greatest form of warfare is to attack strategy itself. And so you could actually know back in the day in, in, in those military battles, you would know which side's going to win before they even started a battle. And so for me, when I, I approach business the same way, you know, like the greatest form of business is to attack strategy itself. And if you can attack strategy itself, I'm going to tell you already before my business even gets put to, on display in the marketplace that we will win because of our strategy. And that's, that's why I feel like most brands don't focus on. They focus on social media or inventory flow or getting their product in wholesale. And they have a plan, but it, it's, it's not a plan where, you know, it's like chess. Like, I could tell you my next five moves, no matter how you're going to move your piece as, a, as an opponent. That's you know? So how did you develop this abil- this skill to uh, build your strategy and I guess implement it and sort of adapt it as reality happens? Because they always, people like, it, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? And mm-hmm. things change. So I imagine strategy changes. So how did you, how did you develop this skill? That's a great question. Um, honestly, I don't, I don't even know. I, I don't even know if I can answer that as much as just saying like I, I just see things in the least common denominator. You know, it comes back to that communication thing. It's like it, it comes like breathing to me. Like I look at something and it either makes sense or it doesn't make sense. And if it doesn't make sense, I simplify it to a simplest form so that I can understand it. You know what I mean? So I that that's just the way that I learn. Like I'm it's not if I don't understand the five different ways that my company could be affected in the next season, then I'm stressed out until I figure those five, what those five options are going to be, you know? And so it keeps me accountable because if I'm stressed out about something, I typically know 
okay, I need to come back to the drawing board and see, you know, what have I not figured out? What have I not seen in the future that I need to start seeing and visualizing? And yeah, it's, it's fun to me. It's, it's not, it doesn't even feel like work. It's, it's just finding the least common denominator in everything that we do. So myself and my team aren't stressed out all the time. We have a good time. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So what do you, what do you use to sort of create the strategy? Like, are you uh, are a scrum fan or like, how do you, what I'm so curious, this is more so for me going off on a tangent, but the strategy yeah, aspect totally. of it's so interesting to me because it's something that I'm trying to sort of figure out with Ready Eddie. And so just hearing you talk about all these things are like all the things that have been on my mind. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah. So most people um, who run companies, they're imitators. Right. They copy. They look at it. Oh, what should I do? I'm going to look at my competitors and learn from them. You know, it's like most companies, most people are imitators. Very few of them are innovators. Very few of them are. I'm going to take a step back. And I'm going to do something a little different. And you know, the people that take a step back and innovate new ways, they're the ones who end up making the most money. Being able to make the, the bigger difference in the world is because they took a step back and they, they, they innovated. They innovated their strategy. They didn't mimic something. They didn't copy something. So the best way that I could describe it is um, during the gold rush, a lot of men would just up and leave and leave their jobs and go gold mining because they were like trying to make it, you know, they're like, they're trying to get enough gold to be able to set their family up for life. Right. And so they would, they would spend all day, you know, panning for gold. But there was a few men that took a step back and said, you know, instead of copying what everybody else is doing, why don't we create, why don't we sell food? Why don't we be the guys who sell food to the people who are paying in for gold? Or why don't we be the guys who sell lumber to the people who are paying in for gold. And we'll make more money selling food and selling lumber than we would if we just sat and, and hoped, you know, sat every single day hoping and paying in for gold that one day, you know, you're going to catch your big break. Right. And so the most successful people of that time period were the ones who took a step back and innovated new ways and created new opportunities to market their product to the audience that is so oversaturated and doing the same thing. And so for me, for marketing, it's like for strategy, I don't look at other brands and just mimic everything they do. I take a step back and go, how can I create a strategy? How can I create a process that nobody else is doing yet or very few people are doing so that I can maximize and actually pioneer new ways of strategy and marketing. And so that's that's why Sackcloth is experiencing this much, much growth from a social standpoint compared to other companies. And we haven't even spoken yet. And it's because we're innovating, we're not imitating. Interesting. So when you when you do these these innovations, do you implement them on like a micro level to test them before you decide to go full steam ahead on them or how, how do you sort uh, of work through that honestly the whole process is testing okay yeah the whole i mean when you're innovating something the you know when when uh inventors would invent something it's not like the first time like the dude got electricity he <laughs> thought you know he thought that he he had made it right you know um like he knew that there was a thousand more steps he needed to take to get that into the market. And so for me, I'm like, I'm always evolving and, and creating strategies, but those strategies are always developing. You know, they're always getting better. They're always being tested. It's not like, Oh, I'm just going to pick a strategy and run with it. You know, that's an imitator. That's, that's somebody who's not inventive. That's somebody who's not creative. Right. Is, so, is somebody who's like, oh, I'm just going to take a marketing strategy and hope it, hope it pans out. You know, I'm just going to be over here panning for gold and hoping things in my life work out. And that's just not how I live my life. I think that's, that's great advice. And anyone who's listening to this will, de like, for me, I think that was good timing. <laughs> 
<laughs> to hear that. Um, so where, where do you see, we, we've touched on this a little bit, but where do you see um, sackcloth and ashes going in the future? I see sackcloth and ashes being one of the biggest social enterprises of our time period. I see sackcloth and ashes being one of the leaders in conversation on the social injustice of homelessness. Um, and I see potential conversations with larger companies and talking about, you know, buying us out. Interesting. It's uh, going to be a fun journey. That is for sure. So, <laughs> so what, what would you say is the best part about running sackcloth and ashes? Oh man. The best part about running sackcloth and ashes um i live a life of freedom i live a life of freedom and i don't take one day for granted i wake up every single day thankful that i'm able to work in an environment where i'm not just sticking something out and my advice to all you listening is if you're sticking something out right now in your life stop sticking it out and move on to what you feel like you're supposed to do in the world you will not regret it if all if take take a take an audit of your own life if there's something that you're sticking it out get rid of it don't just stick something out just to stick it out do what you feel like you're supposed to do and and go where you're supposed feel like you're supposed to go um and uh yeah that that would be that that would be the thing i appreciate the most about my job is like i'm not just sticking something out i'm doing what i love every single day and I'm being able to make a difference in the world at the same time. That's awesome. It's uh, it's great advice, and I think um, anything anyone listening will definitely you should definitely listen to Bob. <laughs> He's been very insightful in the last um, forty five fifty minutes. Um, but I, I want to take a moment to um, mention that we're going to be doing a giveaway with um, sackcloth and ashes, which is starting on February seventh to the twenty first. You can head over to readyyeti.com to enter for your chance to win. And uh, with that, Bob, where, where can people find out more about you and uh, Sackcloth and Ashes? Yeah, so you guys can... Um, our products sold on sackclothandashes.com and um, you can look us up on, on Instagram and Facebook and we pretty much keep all of our following updated on things that we're doing and product we're releasing and and other big announcements that will be coming up here in the next six months, they will be informed through primarily social media. Perfect. Well, Bob, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me. I think your story was inspirational and I I learned a lot. (laughs) So I know, I know our listeners definitely got a lot out of this and I appreciate you for, uh, for coming on. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Hey, Ready Eddie podcast listeners, if you enjoyed today's episode, then I would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Eddie podcast. I'll catch you next week.